0: Hello and welcome to the Podcast of Ideas, this special podcast hours after the general election result has been announced. We've all got together in the office on this Friday morning to talk about this historic election and this quite surprising, in some cases, result. Um, Here we have Rob Lyons, Alistair Donald, Jacob Reynolds, Claire Fox and me, Ella Whelan. Um, So let's get down to figuring out what's going on. Alistair, do you want to kick us off with your initial thoughts from the election?
1: Um, Well, obviously, the uh, focus uh, for a lot of this morning has been on the Tories and and their victory. But I think probably the best place to start is to recognise the role of the voters in all of this. Uh, After all, they've been the people that, uh, for the last four years... Um, have been tried to be shamed, I think, into uh, rejecting Brexit. Um, it's been the Brexit election. I don't think there's any doubt about that, and I think uh, the result is really a testament to the fact that they've resisted everything thrown at them over that period, uh, in, uh, as attempts to um, to make them turn their back on the democratic decision of Brexit. So I think that that, for me, is is, is the kind of really uh, most uh, revealing factor of of the of the result. And
0: Jacob, anything you want to initially start off with in terms yeah. of general viewpoints? So.
2: The first thing to say is that it's a real lesson which we which we can celebrate. Or I'm happy about and can celebrate that you really can't tell people that their votes don't matter. And in the sense in which this election represents a moment where people went, we're sick and tired of being told that we can't have the very thing we voted for. And in some respects, this election and the map looks very similar to the map of the constituencies after the Leave vote. And so it's historic in that sense, in that hopefully. Finally, maybe, it will put to bed the idea that there the, the, elect, the electors can be sort of bargained with or bought off or missold. Um, and that, I, th- I mean, that overall, over everything's happened, there's, there's subtleties to talk about all over the country, but that, for me, is, is the big take-home message.
0: And let's just at this point remind, uh, unless you, if you haven't been checking the news, the official results are the Conservatives in at 364, the Labour Party at 203, the SNP at 48, Liberal Democrats at 11. Um, Claire, any initial reactions from you to the election?
3: It was interesting because Caroline Lucas, the one Green MP that's been elected, has consistently stressed in interviews she's done that there shouldn't have been a general election because Parliament were managing things perfectly well. And I was really shocked at that because I thought she might have taken the chance. She did talk about the need for um, uh, electoral reform and the need for bringing in a new voting system. But she kept saying this thing, and I, I think that's extraordinary because my initial observation is that this is a very different parliament that's going to be returned a huge number of people had already once the general election been called bottled out and not stood because they couldn't face the electorate a range of people who had swapped political parties just weren't elected again you know you can't just go from Tory to Lib Dem and everyone it's all all right and the electorate said no we don't go with that um so whatever side you're on it seems to me that it's a reminder as well that general elections, despite the frustrations of first past the post and all the rest of it, do actually give people a chance to change things, and and they've and they have changed things. The, the other thing is is that lots of people said, lots of people that I've worked with recently, and a lot of people just assumed assumed that those northern heartlands wouldn't vote for the Conservative Party. And what's gratifying is that the electorate in the UK have found their voice through the referendum we said that the genie of democracy was at the bat- bottle and now they just won't behave, I mean they just won't perform to type The Labour Party thought they wouldn't go anywhere. I I know that people in the Brexit Party thought they'd never vote Tory. All sorts of people thought all sorts of things. And what happened was they just ignored everyone and just thought, I'm going to vote for what I want to vote for to send a message I want to send.
4: Yes, I mean, it's interesting that uh, theme that's come up as uh, a few people have said, oh, the the, the mistake that the opposition parties made was in agreeing to an election in the first place. As if, as Caroline Lucas says, this was all absolutely hunky-dory and but parliament was absolutely at gridlock and it had been at gridlock for at least a year really um and so the, the, this is something that had to go back to the people it was a, so i mean they did it for the self-interested purposes but to the extent that the parliament finally recognised that we do have to like go back to the people and and get a decision on this that was the right thing to do and um, and I think that the, the the people have now spoken, the gridlock is broken, we should leave the EU, and we can get on with other things. It's, I mean, Brexit is a very, very important discussion, but it's not the only discussion by any means.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's interesting that the uh, Liberal Democrats and the SNP have been getting it in the neck from a few commentators uh, today for caving in to having a general election, the sentiment being that you should never have allowed this in the first place. The SNP... Might have done reasonably well out of this, but I think the interesting thing is the way that the Liberal Democrats, having um, gone on and uh, stood on the basis of uh, revoking uh, Brexit and and uh, getting rid of it. Uh, were uh, have done poorly and have uh, been found out, uh, and Labour, who uh, didn't really come clean, but everybody really knew what they were saying, that they were also uh, wanting to uh, not go through with Brexit, have also done very badly as well. So I think, uh, uh, put to the test, uh, they, these parties have been found out.
0: Well, let's dig into the specifics. You mentioned the SNP there, Alastair. I mean, Rob, they've won more seats than in 2017. It's obviously quite a different picture from the rest. Of the UK. What happened there, do you think?
4: Um, well, I think, tw- tw- if anything, 2017 was the slight peculiarity, because there was this kind of Labour surge, and the Tories did a bit better as well. But they're still below the level that they got in 2015, the year after the referendum vote. And actually, in terms of their share of the vote, it's 45%. Funnily enough, this is just exactly what um, the Yes campaign got in the general election. So it seems to me that when Nicola Sturgeon says that she has a mandate for um, a, a second referendum, it's on pretty shaky ground. Um, it's not clear to me at all that the people of Scotland are particularly keen on another referendum. Obviously, at the end of the day, 48 seats. Well, 47 plus the the one uh, SNP person who got suspended for um, tweeting anti-Semitic stuff. Um but it was too late and he was he was on the ballot paper. Um, I just don't think that's there. What's remarkable is that all this time after the Brexit vote is that the position on independence hasn't really changed, which the polls um, are pretty static. Occasionally you'll get find a poll, that, a bit of an outlier, that there's a pro-independence majority. But for, for the, in the main, it's it's where we were in 2014, and it's difficult to see where the path would be to an independence referendum now, um, in the sense that I can't see any reason why Boris Johnson would grant one or give this Section 30 order that would would give it um, uh, some validity. So they could maybe try and do something on their own in a kind of Catalonian-style independent independence referendum, but I just don't see that that's going to fly, so I just don't know... What where that where their path forward is in terms of pursuing independence right now?
2: But why why the question I have and this came from our, our, from Jeff, our colleague as well, over email. He's not here. But why what does it mean for the SNP to keep? winning in Scotland, or to, to keep forcing this issue? what? That's why I can't get my head around. If there's not a majority for independence, as putting aside so just blaming it on the electoral system and the unproportional nature of the way that votes work in Scotland, what is it that's pushing the SNP?
4: Well, I mean, uh, the, there's all the different elements of what might make up that 45%. Some of it is nationalist. Some of it is, I mean, I'm sure some of it is anti-English sentiment. but not very much of it. But some of it is the, a sense of... Uh, sort of fatigue with politics as it's currently done and the idea seems very attractive like if we went on our own then we you know, we could like run our own affairs and we Scotland is somehow uh, different in all of that um, and that's that's it really I mean I think that the peculiarities of the first past the post system mean that they get these whopping great results um, in Scotland um, just as you know the Conservatives did not get a majority of the of the popular votes they've got actually similar to the s n p and they 've got a stonking majority so that is the that is the, the the first past the post system in action, but in terms of whether they have the confidence of half the people of scotland they they don't really pro unionist parties if you add it all up still have um, a majority.
1: Yeah, I think the the distortion of the uh, percentage of the vote with uh, the percentage of the seats that you get in Scotland is particularly exaggerated. So you get forty five percent of the votes, gets you uh, over eighty percent of the seats, and and it's the seats that people talk about in terms of, um, uh, you know, the, the the dynamic that's presented around Scottish independence. I mean, I I, I think um, I, I still think that the this Scottish independence is more a product of the unravelling of the UK and the inability to make uh, the case for the union rather than it is a serious momentum behind uh, Scottish independence, at least in a sort of traditional nationalist sense. I think there's, there's obviously, a, as, as Rob says, an anti-English sentiment, and there's other things uh, rolled up in that, along with actually a genuine democratic sentiment among some Scottish nationalists, which I think is worth kind of recognising. But I, I still think the main thing is the inability to create the case for the union that may by... Uh, you know may lead to uh, 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 an independence referendum just because Boris cannot hold the line.
3: Maybe I could just uh, do a bridge now because I'd, i i wouldn 't mind talking about what's happened to the Labour Party and I was going to say that one of the peculiarities in Scotland or peculiarities is that labour collapsed in Scotland and it can 't recover and it 's actually a you know it 's a lesson what is it can 't recover i mean never say never but. Since it's collapsed in Scotland, it's just scrambled around. It just has lost its base. And I think this must be a scary prospect for the Labour Party, having taken such a drubbing in this election, that, that now the UK's, like Scotland, like the Labour Party, have collapsed. And will they ever get it back? And there's no, you know, you haven't got a God-entitled right to exist as a Labour Party. So moving on to the Labour Party, I mean, I I, I think it's worth noting... and. I can't really believe they're doing this, but they are. That so many Labour Party activists are reacting to this by blaming the voters. I mean, what? Again? Again? (laughs) I mean, what? And, you know, infamously, you know, with this idea of the, oh, it's the old against the young, it's the racist against ethnic minorities and all of these terribly... Insulting. I mean, you know, we've heard it all before, but it's just that with almost without any sense of humility and completely tin-eared they've done that. But there's also, it's, it, it, I, I just think to kind of give a bit of depth to this, I, I, then you kind of get into this thing about, you know, I just was doing an interview with someone and they said, well, what is your position on nationalising the water industry? I mean, and I said, you know, one could look at Labour's pl- platform and, and what it was arguing and, you know, it says it had a radical programme. But in the end, nobody really believed that radical programme because they don't believe that they believe in radical transformation because they won't take any notice of the voters. But secondly, they didn't really talk about that radical programme. And you can't just say it was the Tories that insisted on talking about Brexit because what is the main message that the Labour Party put out during this referendum? That the NHS would be sold to Donald Trump. It wasn't a positive message for a new economic system. It was a negative message actually deceptive, scaremongering message about the opposition. So I actually think that they did themselves a disservice, even though they betrayed Brexit and they couldn't have survived the Labour heartlands collapse. They didn't actually put forward a positive case, yeah. even for their rather shallow uh, lefty sort of socialist vision either.
0: Well, it's important to just put the context for that. I mean, the 2017 election was very different for Labour. Um, this time round, the, the main difference is that they have this ridiculous Brexit policy, they are more remain than anything else, even though they tried to sit on the fence. And they've paid for it. So, you know, the Tories have taken Blythe Valley, Workington, the Tories have taken them, in Wrexham, in Lee, in Greater Manchester, which has been Labour for, you know, 100 years. I mean, the the big difference this time round, Jacob Shirley, is that the key issue is they've lost people in those Brexit heartlands.
2: Yeah, I I, 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 want to break it down a little bit, uh, because there's there's an awful lot going on with the Labour thing. But one of the things I was doing today, as I was scrolling through the And whatever it's just noting down everything that people were blaming for Labour's loss, and so we got Brexit voters, we got the Brexit culture war, Lib Dems racists, old voters, people who prefer to clean Tory toilets than vote them out, scabs, uh, first past the post, the mainstream media, the pro-EU wing of the party, Corbynomics, the billionaire press, the Jews, obviously, anti-Semitism witch hunt corbyn compromising too much nationalism the snp later leadership not purging the anti-corbyn elements in 2017 the stupid working classes um it's like anything but looking at the the like obvious elephant in the room in, in in the brexit policy um but so but there are two other things that sort of have come up a little bit that are worth noting i think um the brexit position wouldn't can't discount it it's absolutely crucial but the two other things that are coming up um, and seem to be coming up a little bit in some of the Ascroft polling ahead of the, in the, in the interviews and asking people what their important issues were for Labour leavers in the North. Corbyn's personal credibility. Um, people seem to not be able to trust him or take him seriously. This obviously has a Brexit element to it. But also the spectre of anti-Semitism, his association with terrorists in the commas or however you want to put that. Um, the sense he doesn't have any belief in his country or no love for country and for a lot of people some sort of general almost like sort of petty bourgeois sense that he wasn't serious, he wore a hat rather than a tie um, the other thing that came up is the spending plans um, and as we've alluded to some of these policies are very popular when polled on but like you have to of trust him to deliver them. There, there is one more thing I want to mention that I don't think I've seen a lot of really and Claire sort of touched on it is that The best that Labour can muster is a sort of emotional politics of saying the nasty Tories versus the kind, caring Labour Party. Um, And that's not enough. You need, if you're going to have a transformative vision for the country, and lots of those policies put together would amount to a big change in how the British economy is run and how British society operates. But Corbyn wasn't able to sort of deliver that to tie that into a transformative message um lee jones's article on the full brexit last night was very good and he put it this way which was that the party's labor party's imaginative horizon is of welfare bureaucracies backed by eu protections administering to the vulnerable victims of neoliberal capitalism rather than a transformative vision that puts people's agency first and on the basis of that, you build a new society.
0: Alistair, do you think they're going to learn from this? I mean, given the coverage, lots of them are either, you know, some of them, John McDonald, quite notably, are saying, okay, we got this wrong. It was Brexit. And you kind of think, well, it's too late for you to realise that now. But as Claire and Jacob have said, others are just doubling down almost on this i mean what is the future for the labour party if there is one
1: well it's uh, yeah it's a good it's a good question i mean if the, the irony was that the the moment the tories passed the 326 mark was in bolsover uh, which is kind of <laughs> really significant uh, moment i mean it's the the, the future is it's um It's difficult to see because if you look at it in the long term, then what, if you take the 120-year history of the Labour Party, then the old traditional labourism was rejected in the early 1980s. The centrist Blairite model was rejected in 2010. And we now seem to have the rejection of the momentum identity politics uh, type of model uh, today. So it's difficult to see... um, what the a new model of 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 the Labour Party would be without just trying to pick and mix some of the things from before? So I I think this is a gen, a moment when they are genuinely in trouble, and I I think the significance of the vote is really um, a demand for new politics and for something completely different. I
4: mean, you would never say never, as Claire said earlier, about Labour Party revival. Um, because you know, these these parties have reinvented themselves on numerous occasions before, but it's, it, at the moment it is really difficult to see where they can go with it, um, especially when their machine is dominated by the sort of uh, these momentum people and, uh, and whatever, and they're going to cling on to that. And their party membership is the sort of woke Waitrose crowd. Who are very much at odds with? I mean, they may, may dominate the media in many ways, but they're they're very much at, at odds with their, their traditional base or inf- the vast majority of ordinary people, as far as I can see. So, where are they going to build a kind of coalition or a, a new idea from? And it's and, and it's um and it's not clear at all. I mean, they kind of got away with it in twenty seventeen, mostly because of of a, a very ambiguous Brexit policy, um, and. Because they neutralised that issue, they could get people who were gen- genuinely enthusiastic about the idea of greater public spending and, what- and whatever, you know, get the, an end to austerity. And uh, they just couldn't do it this time because they had to come down off the fence on Brexit, and it really exposed them that they, that they about who they were choosing to side with, and they were siding with the woke Waitrose crowd.
2: It's, I, I do have to say, I feel slightly for lots of the labour activists, of which there were a huge number. You couldn't walk, especially, I mean obviously in London but you couldn't walk around without seeing canvases and people handing out leaflets and lots of people who genuinely bought the labour message of a, trying to create a kinder society and ending homelessness and these kind of things, who have been sort of hung out to dry by the leadership, party leadership's complete inability to get a Brexit policy together. I don't believe these people would have abandoned the party if they'd have gone for a Brexit, a pro-Brexit position. They care about the social issues that they're out campaigning on. And these people, who maybe have been engaged in politics for the first time, have been completely hung out to dry. I just
3: wanted to to, to to add to that, though, that this is a point that's been made, but I really think it's so noticeable. Is you know, it's because I'm old, right, but I... Basically, the kind of people who wanted to be nice to people and kind to people and, you know, help the poor and and help the homeless in my day were social workers and they did voluntary work and they were very nice people and some of them were Lib Dems and some of them were Labour and some of them were Conservatives. The people who got involved in a political party like the Labour Party, even though I didn't disagree with it, saw themselves as fighting politically for the equal treatment of people and fighting economically around a range of quite hardcore issues. The modern Labour Party does not see its voters as equal citizens who, as it were, can take a lead in politics. It sees them as people that you have to help. And so it does get... They're, they're totally genuine. I've, a lot of people I know... Are, Absolutely lovely people, and they're kind of crying for the homeless. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I did all that when I was 21. I worked with the homeless, and it's I want people to do that. I don't want people to be heartless, but you didn't join a political party because of it. You know, that was a different thing. You got involved in, you know, fighting politically around housing, not kind of just and that's where it's all gone wrong for me. They've attracted a genuinely sincere group of people who are depoliticized about how to change things and see their fellow citizens as people you have to help.
0: I think that's the main message for me anyway that the Labour Party has to learn especially from its losses in the north and the, those kind of traditional historic um, working class voter bases is that the difference between going for Brexit and going for this kind of um, quite patronising you just need bread in your mouth you just need a bed under your uh, head policy is that the first one enacting the Brexit vote means treating voters like political agents and not just objects to have sympathy poured down on their heads. Um, and the, the fact that they've seemed to miss that isn't just, in, it's in part the fact that they are now almost ridiculed as yeah the woke wait- waitros, the middle class party, the metropolitan elite, whatever slogan you want to label them with. But also they they are seriously terrified, I think, of what a mass movement of, working class voters might come up with and that fear has cost them but let's now move on into the last section of this chat we're having um to the winners of this election um the conservatives because it's the really remarkable thing um listening to boris johnson's speech is i think the part in which he says i know that this has not been uh, a win just off our backs. I know that people have lent us our votes, I feel humbled, and I know that this is about Brexit, which was quite a remarkable stance to take. And thankfully, someone in his team is telling him, you've got to wise up to the fact that this was not about the you know, brilliant NHS promises you made, it was about Brexit. Does anyone have any initial thoughts on the Tory party and what they have to do?
2: For me, the first thing is that this is a reminder that... Um Electoral politics is about being disciplined by voters, and Boris or whoever's writing his victory speeches in the Conservative Party is smart enough to know that he's now disciplined by a whole new group of voters, right? Um, and what that means for the future of the Conservative Party or for Boris Johnson's prime ministership is really interesting, because does it mean that more attention will be paid to the demands for greater accountability, more involvement in politics, more investment, jobs? Uh, reindustrialization or a new industrial revolution, any of the things that we know inform or were part of the Brexit discussion, doesn't mean that. The, that speech is a good sign for yes, but we have to remember that the Tories have a wafer thin manifesto. They usually will revert to type on, they want to get Brexit done, they want it finished and over with. And so I'm, I'd like to be confident that they'll be disciplined by these new voters they've acquired. But I wouldn't say I'm optimistic that's going to happen.
0: I mean, Claire, you've got an insight into this. Is, is this where the Brexit party vote will play a key role in holding Johnson's feet to the fire on that key issue of Brexit?
3: Well, I think that, and I, I suppose this is the kind of Brexit party point. So many people said to me when I was kind of in the North West over the last few weeks, look, Claire, you know, I really admire the Brexit party. I voted for you in the European elections, but I'm not voting for Brexit party because I really want to see the back of this Labour MP you sold us out time and again, you know that sort of thing, and some lot, you know, some people voted for the Brexit point, but a lot of people wanted to punish the Labour Party in their areas, rightly so for the contempt with which they had been treated, and because they also saw that Boris Johnson even rhetorically was going to take it over the line, and they were terrified. the The, the negative was they were terrified that that Remain would get in, and and where you started that that there would, you know the Mary Craze of this world, the, the Joe Swinton world, both of whom have been voted out as an aside, uh, um, um and Muna in the crowd, would basically force a second referendum. But there was a positive side to it, which was, right, we're going to go out there and we're going we're to game this. We're not Tories. We're going to say, and that was it. But the consciousness for the Tories has to be that this is a temporary moment. And I think that... On the particular issue of leaving the European Union, it's not just this, the the withdrawal agreement that uh, Boris Johnson has negotiated was a very short negotiation around a very minor few points that gives slightly more wiggle room. However, if he or the Tories imagine that based on why people seem to have voted for them in droves, that they can kind of go off behind closed doors in Brussels and kind of get away with some sort of like half-hearted uh, attempt. A, a lot of voters also told me we will be out, Claire, by the end of 2020. He said we're going to be out by. You'll be out, Brussels, as an MEP, Claire, by the end of January 2020, and that is going to happen, but then we'll be out by the end of 2020, and you're going to go, only if Boris has the courage to go quite hard line, and I haven't seen that courage, but they're saying that, and he must feel them breathing down his neck so they can celebrate, but it's a whole different ballgame, as Jacob says.
1: Well, I, I think, so the get Brexit done thing was uh, seemed to be a fairly naked attempt to take the political sting out of the issue of Brexit and to bring it back back into committee rooms and the negotiating sphere and remove it from the public. Um, whether he can be successful for that, I, I think they've done that in the election campaign and look at the election results and the sentiment that's been expressed through results. So has it been depoliticised? It's not clear to me uh, that it has and that they can. I, I think people will be watching very closely over, over, over the coming months. I mean, many people have mentioned um, kind of the more broader... Uh, future of, of of this government um, many people have said the manifesto is wafer thin and you can and we have no sense of what is their vision for brexit or even uh, in the in the broader political sphere uh, beyond brexit so it's it's it'll be interesting to see um, what that is I was very struck by Andrew Neil asking all his conservative guests last night so you are now representing people in the northern heartlands what are you going to do with them uh, for them uh, and how, how are you going to deal with that and none of them had any sort of answers at all um, so whether they uh, just kept stuff back from the manifesto to keep it bland to concentrate the campaign I don't know but um, it's difficult to see what they've they've got um, to project some sort of
4: positive vision. What worries me about the Conservatives is just that a there, there isn't that much of a positive vision if any um, other than just let's get this Brexit thing done and actually didn't I didn't see that as entirely as negative or depoliticizing as maybe some other people did because I felt it was like right we're going to as Claire said we're going, to, we're going to push through and finish this off now and then we're going to oh yeah what else can we do I felt I felt there was a there was a at least some people were interpreting it that way and I thought that, that was positive but it, but as you say that the manifesto is very thin they don't seem to have any great vision. They actually, where they they were putting things forward, it was the same old metropolitan crap in a lot of ways. You know, it's just like we have to pay homage to the NHS and bung a few more billion in. We uh, we have to um, we have to. Uh, you know, so one of the things even in his speech was carbon neutral by twenty fifty and all this sort of stuff. And that isn't... I don't think that's the concern of the northern heartlands or whatever. It's, you know, they have to have a vision by which, for for example, they can transform the economy and, you know, give people the idea that their kids are going to have a better life than they did and all that sort of stuff, and that, you know, they're they're not going to end up doing dead-end jobs um, all the time. And, you know, where is the vision for that? And we wait and see.
3: Apparently there was uh, something of a spike in support for Boris's Get It Done, which was actually waning in its influence and beginning to get on people's nerves. I've been told that certain, uh, you know, polling has indicated. But then what happened was the, the, the JCB tractor driving through the wall really worked because something <laughs> about that... No, but something about that image was stronger. It was like, we're going through... It. And you could see... I'm, I'm not being funny, but, like, I saw it and you think... You think it's... But you think, yes, you know, and it's like, I, I've kind of felt it last night. Yes, you know, we're back and all that sort of thing. And I think that in that sense, that's what's very appealing. I, I think, however, the content of what they've got on offer has been well illustrated by Rob. In fact, I had a very interesting conversation with some people who told me they were going to vote for the Conservatives in the Northwest. I was trying to persuade them otherwise. And he said, the only thing is, I hope he doesn't go all Greta Thunberg on us, right? Right, because of his because of his partner and then they were talking about energy prices being hiked up and some of the problems around that somebody actually there was a bit of a row going on about fracking a couple of people were for it a couple were against but I thought it's more complicated when you dig deeper in the northwest. you know what I mean he's not going to get away with that and the other thing I, I feel I have to say is their sense of entitlement has been so incredible, you know, and that is in relation to the Brexit party, but I do think it tells you something. Even today, people like Dan Hannon and people like that said the Brexit party cost us some uh, seats. It's like, yes, you aren't allowed to just demand everyone stands out of the way, you know, and I think that that, um, there is, they will have some difficulty, I think, myself, in fi- of finding a, a, a touch that will work where they kind of can not act as though they are the Conservative Party that has got a divine right to rule. And I think if they, if they don't watch it, which I agree with you, Ella, absolutely, Boris Johnson's more humble speech, if he can keep it up, I hope he means that and that the voters have taught him a lesson rather than that was part of the spin. Because if they carry on and do that kind of Tory, treat everyone like they're kind of, their, their servants they can click their fingers to that is going to backfire on them badly not just on brexit
0: i think the slogan get brexit done you know seems to have worked but i think the thing that everyone certainly i think has to be important is that we get the process of leaving the european union done and completed and enacted but brexit the spirit of it the political new landscape it's created is not done, it's not done by half, and actually should be continued, whether that be through democratic reforms in the House of Lords, the monarchy, all those discussions, but also in a general sense of what kind of discussions we're going to now have to have about immigration, you know, the points-based policy that, that Tory's putting up is not appealing to me, about the shape of the NHS, all these things have to happen in a post-Brexit landscape in which the positive thing is that voters now have much more stronger standing because they've asserted themselves. Everyone's a bit lacking in sleep at the moment because we've all been watching the results. Does anyone have that one kind of patillo moment? That one hilarious thing that happened or amazing thing that happened for them that made them sit up out of their slumber in the sofas last night? The-
2: the Labour MP in Stoke on Trent and Snell, I forget his first name, but and he was just brilliantly hilarious in saying they went to him. He's like, "Right, I'm going to lose my seat. I'm um, sorry about that, but you know what? The party's been taken over by London Remainers, and they've completely screwed everyone up. And we're, I'm sorry, but we're we're bearing the brunt of it now." And it was just like the honesty. Sometimes these horrendous losses force a moment of such clarity and honesty. And I was like, "He gets it. I hope someone else does." Um, well, it was not a funny moment, but um, I thought it was very notable that in
1: Corbyn's accept in Corbyn's uh, acceptance speech or whatever that speech is called, uh, um, standing down speech, just, right? <laughs> um, that he uh, he he said that Brexit got in the way of the stuff that they wanted to discuss. And Jo Swinson in in Glasgow in her speech as well kind of doubled down on a lot of the things that they've been saying throughout the campaign. And I thought it was a real uh, clarifying moment. Uh, uh, because when we're asking do people learn the lessons of a campaign um, the answer in those two instances seemed to me to be no.
4: Both in the campaign and last night um, I think the gift that kept on giving was Richard Bergen who who demonstrates you can get to Cambridge University and still be as thick as mints and his, his thing, he did it twice during the campaign he said Boris Johnson is a Tory and then the second time he went like 2003, he was a Tory. 2004, he was a Tory. It was so odd. Um, and then I didn't see it, but uh, Michael Deacon, the Telegraph sketch writer, uh, describes Andrew Neil trying to explain the figures as they came out uh, to to Bergen, and he said he said it was like what trying to teach dog calculus. He uh, was just couldn't cope with it. So, um, so I, I I just think he's hilarious and. I hope he continues in public life for, for a, a great deal to go. Oh, and Anna Soubry, after all the the, the fuss about her and whatever, and standing again, well, didn't even make the BBC's list of the high-profile people who had um, lost their seats. And I just thought that was very funny.
3: I thought that that was a moment for me, because you kind of, once one went... You know what I mean? Chukra and Moon has gone. I was, you know, delighted and tweeted... But because they all went, I got bored of tweeting. I thought oh, they've all gone. Basically, yeah. they've all gone. You know what I mean? And then when you said, I suddenly thought, "Oh, Anasubi, what's happened to Anasuya?" And it was like on the, it was on the ticker tape. You know, it wasn't like very, very good. Um, actually, what we haven't mentioned is you know the, the the scramble for the seats in the south, and this was where there was a particular schizophrenic attitude of the Labour Party. You know, on the one hand, they're losing their northern heartlands and then they're kind of shouting at the Greens and the Lib Dems, you know, if only you'd stood down, we could have won Kensington. It's like, oh, dear. You know, and this kind of thing was going on. But the Emma Dent Code, um, who I, I have found really hard to listen to, in particular in the way that I feel that the, the Grenville tragedy has been exploited in that area, lost her seat. And um, I was, you know, I thought, well, there we go. And uh, and then the other person was Ian Duncan-Smith. The expression on the face of the incredibly uh, articulate and beautiful Faisal Shaheen, um, who was standing against him, she just could not believe, because they threw everything at defeating a stale, white male, Ian Duncan-Smith. And he beat her. And I I thought that was incredible because even those target seats in the South didn't particularly go anybody's way. And then immediately look on social media and say, you have let us down, Lib Dems and Greens. And I thought that's what they were really concentrating on in this election. And they didn't pull that off. A number of people who I've had some political rows with over the last year didn't do as well as they might have liked to. They will say the Brexit party got no seats, what are you talking about? But as a Brexiteer, I'm just delighted that the Brexit voters have got their way.
2: There's a small shout out needed, obviously, to everyone's favourite and most incisive commentator, Paul Mason, who's had the best line of the entire reaction to the... Uh, election so far today in one of his articles which was how could we have lost when we had all the rappers on our side <laughs> <laughs> it's just, just you can't you can't make him up
0: <laughs> for me it had to be um and I can't believe I'm on the same side as Nicola Sturgeon but it had to be that behind the scenes footage of Nicola Sturgeon apoplectically cheering punching the air at the news that Joe Swinson had not been elected and I have to share that joy <laughs> that Jo swinson with all her bleating about wanting to be the prime minister got shot down that's an election victory in itself well that's all from us make sure you subscribe to the podcast for ideas visit our website the academy of ideas.org.uk and from all of us and the team have a really great christmas